0: Welcome to the first episode of Rock and Rambles. In this series of podcasts, I will discuss some geological concepts because, well, I like geology. And I will try, however thinly, to relate these ideas to some popular culture or historical event that I also think is interesting. It's really just an excuse to speak on topics that I hope others will find somewhat fun and entertaining, which I suppose is the point of all podcasts, books, TV, or other entertainment products. So I suppose I'm not really reinventing the wheel. Huh. The invention of the wheel. That might be an interesting topic. I wonder if it was made of rocks. Welcome to Rock and Rambles, episode one, Origins. What's a geologist's favorite style of music? Well, it's rock music, of course. This commonly referenced geology pun, favored by high school science teachers around the world, has inspired me to dig into geology and try and tell the story of Earth's geologic history as we take a tour of the seemingly unrelated history and substance of rock and roll culture and origin. What is rock? What is rock, geologically speaking that is? Rocks are a combination of minerals. There are many types of minerals on Earth, some with familiar names like talc, quartz, halite, also known as salt, calcite, iron, or feldspar. Not familiar with that last one? No, you will be. You will be. Others are less familiar, with names like serpentine, olivine, and pyrite. All minerals share some characteristics. They are naturally occurring, they are inorganic, which means not living, or from the remains of plants or animals. They're solids under normal conditions. They have an orderly internal structure with atoms forming a repeating geometric pattern called a crystal. And they also have a definite chemical composition. So for example, one sodium and one chlorine atom called sodium chloride forms the mineral, halite or table salt. They also have specific characteristics that define them. Minerals are identified and described according to these physical properties, uh, such as cleavage, which is the tendency of a mineral to break along a certain plane, uh, their color, their hardness. Now, hardness is a measure of a mineral's resistance to scratching. Uh, this is measured on the Mohs hardness scale. Now this scale was introduced in 1812 by the German geologist and mineralogist Frederick Mohs in his book, Versuch Einier Elementor Method, um, it's German, so you may have to look it up yourself. They're also defined by their luster, or ability to reflect light, their streak, which is the color they leave behind when you scratch them on a piece of porcelain, and their specific gravity. So by combining these different combinations of minerals, we get different types of rocks. And granite, for example, and for an example of granite, please reference those beautiful countertops in all the home improvement shows. Now granite, upon a close-up examination, is often comprised of three minerals. You have hornblende, Quartz, and Feldspar. Feldspar is that beautiful clear crystal you see in a piece of granite. Now, I told you, you would become familiar with it. These different types and proportion of minerals, along with the way they are formed, define the different types of rocks. Now if you remember from your middle school days, rocks fall into three main types based on how they are formed now igneous rocks are formed from cooled magma or lava depending if they're on the surface or or under the ground Uh, metamorphic rocks are changed by heat and pressure these are rocks formed usually near mountain building processes sedimentary rocks now these are formed from broken down parts of other rocks and they normally form in Um, aquatic or or marine environments. And and we'll talk more about these at another time, but for now I think this is a good spot to switch to our other topic of discussion. As ACDC would say, for those about to rock, sorry about that. What is rock? What is rock, culturally and artistically speaking? No answer to this question is exhaustive, nor is it meant to be. But we need a place to start, so we might as well pick one, and then later we will decide we were wrong. At its core, rock music is like geological rock. It combines the characteristics of many different types of music, and depending on how those characteristics are combined and delivered, we get different types of rock music. You see, rock music is like sedimentary rock. It's made of the remaining most resilient portions of other musical styles. And I, I told you I could sort of link geology to rock and roll. Hmm. The term rock and roll was first used to describe the motion of a ship on the sea. All oh, these waves are rocking and rollin'. Later, it was used as a euphemism for sex and lewd dancing. I'll leave that one alone. Not until the 1950s did it reach common usage as a reference for the R&B, otherwise known at the time as black or race music that was beginning to gain popularity in many parts of the United States. Most historians agree that what we now call rock and roll music originated in the rhythms and blues music of the Mississippi River Delta. The transformation from a rhythmic form of music to what we now recognize as rock was sparked by one of the greatest natural disasters in American history. The Great Flood of 1927 covered large portions of Arkansas, Mississippi, and Louisiana in up to 30 feet of water. The flooding displaced nearly 200,000 African Americans. After the waters receded, many of these Black Southerners decided to move north. The event and the aftermath are referenced in the song When the Levee Breaks by Kansas Joe McCoy and Memphis Minnie in 1929. The song is also later covered by the great Led Zeppelin in 71, with the added lyrics Going to Chicago, referencing the desire for many Southern Blacks to move north. As these displaced individuals moved north, they followed the same Mississippi River that had flooded their homes in the south. A river, by the way, which is a failed rift valley, and more of this on an upcoming episode, I am sure. Many of these individuals followed US Highway 61, now known as the Blues Highway, due to its influence on rock and roll and blues. This route was also referenced by the great Bob Dylan in 1965's Highway 61 Revisited. As the route travels north into Mississippi, it reaches the town of Clarksdale. Clarksdale hosts the most famous crossroads in blues or rock and roll history, as Route 61 intersects U.S. Route 49. According to legend, this is the Crossroads, where Memphis-born and Delta-raised Robert Johnson sold his Soul to the Devil in order to become one of the best blues guitar players in the South. This moment is relived in Johnson's Crossroads which was covered in 1968 by Eric Clapton. Now Robert Johnson died in 1938, making the first member of the infamous 27 Club. The club is made up of musicians that all died at the young age of 27. Members of this famous club include uh, Brian Johnson of the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison of the Doors, Rob McKernan of the Grateful Dead, Kurt Cobain, Of Nirvana and most recently Amy Winehouse. Uh, Many wonder if this is due to that original deal with the devil made by Johnson in Mississippi. I submit perhaps it could have more to do with drugs and syphilis but you be the judge. As Route 61 moves north it passes through the city of Memphis, Tennessee, Tennessee Uh, Memphis was the home of Sam Phillips and his recording studio Sun Records, who many believe to have recorded the first rock and roll song in history. In 1951 the Delta Cats, which included Ike Turner, who is from Clarksdale by the way, and they recorded the song Rocket 88. This song has the first recorded instance of a distorted guitar due to an accident on that same Route 61, which resulted in the damage of an electrical guitar amplifier. The resulting distortion was recorded by Sam Phillips and was a success. Um, Sam Phillips went on to record music by B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, Johnny Cash, Carl Pickens, Jerry Lee Lewis, Roy Orbison, and of course the first recordings of Elvis Presley in June of 1954, who supposedly was recording for his mother's birthday. Pause for awe. Around the same time in '51, Alan Freed, a DJ in Cleveland, Ohio, began playing what was then called race music on his radio station, WJW, becoming one of the first major rock radio stations to play this type of music. Freed began referring to the music as rock and roll in order to better reach white music listeners. This effort, sponsored by a local record store owner, successfully cemented the idea of rock and roll in mainstream culture. As a side note, Alan Freed's high school band, the Sultans of Swing, where he played trombone, is ironically referenced in Dire Straits' 1971 song, also called Sultans of Swing. At the same time as the term rock and roll was becoming popular, recording studios in Cincinnati, uh, King Records in 1943, and Chicago, at Chess Records in 1950, became the center of rock and roll recordings. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards both received records monthly from Chess Records, uh, further influencing the next generation of rock and roll. I think I'll leave it here for now. I hope you learned as much as I did research in these episodes. I really encourage you to use this as a jumping-off point for further research into these subjects, and please listen to the songs referenced in the podcast. You will not be disappointed. Thank you. Some of the sites referenced by this podcast are History.com, grist.org, The New Yorker, article by Lewis Menard, Wikipedia, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website.